Hey guys, it's RJ and Angie, and this is the Rich by Intention podcast. What's going on, babe? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Just, uh, you know, thinking about last week. And what happened last week? Let me know because I, I, I got amnesia. <laughs> you know, we were on, you know, that little show called Good Morning America. You know, it has like, I guess, 3.8 million viewers. Nothing. No, I'm still. I'm nothing crazy. I'm still shaking from last week. <laughs> uh, for everyone that's listening, if you haven't uh, watched us on Good Morning America yet, yes. it was such a blessing to be on it. It was so great to share our story. Yeah, no, like it was just like one. They did a segment on our family and how we paid off our debt and we shared money tips. You know, it was like one. We couldn't believe that we even got the opportunity to go on Good Morning America. So I think you know we're just. It was so unexpected to even think that we would go on a sh- on onto that platform. Yeah, yeah, it was unexpected to, to have the opportunity. And to be honest, at first we thought it was like a spam, spam yeah, email. We thought it was spam email because uh, we get emails, yeah. you know, saying, "Hey, you want to do this or that?" Yeah, you want to be on Forbes? Pay us, you know, a thousand dollars. Or so we looked at each other and was like, "Oh wow, this, uh, this ABC," and checked the email and it was it was from the producer and. We're just so glad that our story could be showcased to the masses. Yeah, no, I think, you know, it's always good to see people doing what you want to do, right? You always need to just, to, in order for you to know what's possible, you know, sometimes you need to see examples. And so I think that's why we even started Rich by Intention, right? Because we wanted to show others, help others see that it's possible for them to manage their own money with intention. And so just highlighting our family, sharing our story, um, it really was just an honor to even be asked to be on that platform and just give a little bit of share a little bit of what has helped us so far on our journey. Yeah. And also, like, as you mentioned, Angie, like we showcased our family, our daughter, you know, it's the first time, you know, the general public have seen our daughter. And yeah, we don't um, really share her on social media. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was like the first time that she's her first time on any type of media happened to be on Good, <laughs> Good Morning, Morning America. America. So. so she's getting asked for autographs now. So yeah, uh, shout know. out to our baby. Yeah, no, like it was just, you know, she loves seeing like the camera people and, you know, just seeing all the lights and it was just, you know, such a great life experience, I think, just in general, right? Like just if nothing else, right? Just to kind of have that experience for our family. We'll always cherish it. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll have the feature story in our show notes. So if you haven't got a chance to check it out, uh, make sure you do. And then also, if you want to get more information or get more details about how we paid off debt, please listen to episode one of our podcast. We go into quite detail on the steps that we took to pay off our debt. Yeah, no, I, I would definitely encourage anyone who hasn't listened to it, just listen to it, you know, because you know, when you hear someone that paid off six figures of student loan debt in a year, it can sound like, whoa, like how in the world were they able to do that? And I think, you know, in episode one, we definitely broke it down. You know, we didn't start (laughs) where we ended, you know, like we both, you know, made money mistakes. We both had other debt on top of this $123,000 student loan debt. So definitely take a listen to that one. We definitely share some tips on how um, other people can, can start getting a hold of their their debt as well. Yeah, so be sure to check it out. Well, today we actually have a very special guest. And, you know, she is a thought leader in the personal finance space, Tanya Rapley. 
Tanya is an internationally recognized speaker, financial educator, a best-selling author, and a serial entrepreneur. She's known as the millennial money expert, and she's the founder of the huge platform, MyFab Finance, and author of The Money Manual. Tanya is the co-host of the award-winning series, Going From Broke, produced by Aston Kutcher. Yeah, she has so many great projects going on. People are going to learn so much from her in this episode, just about business, about taking action, about becoming an entrepreneur. And so I think you are really going to enjoy this episode. Thank you for tuning into this episode. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and leave a review. I've been following you for a very long time. You were like one of the first personal finance influencers that I've ever followed. And um, just excited to have you on our podcast. You know, I consider you a trailblazer in the personal finance space. And so what led you to create MyFab Finance? Thank you. Thank you for that. That that means a lot because I love your platform. I love what y'all are doing. Um, what led me to was there wasn't other people for me to look at when I got started uh, when I, I remember having a conversation with a friend and I informed them that I wanted to start working on my money. I wanted to start working on my personal finances. And they were giving me all these Susie Orman books. And I was like, I, she just, she just does not resonate with me. I'm just not feeling it from her. And there was Glenda Bridgeforth, who um, Glenda has since went on to become a mentor of mine. Uh, but I just felt like there wasn't anybody who looked like us talking about money in a way that resonated with me. And I knew I always enjoyed writing. I always enjoyed educating. My under my degrees are both public service oriented degrees. And I figured what better way to serve people and help people and apply all the things that I'm interested in than to start teaching what I'm learning in personal finance. Since there's not anybody who looks like me really doing this. I think there was Tiffany Budgetista. And maybe a few other people, Michelle Singletary, but and Lynette Calfani Cox, but there weren't millennials doing it. So that's why I got started. Wow. No, that's so true that, you know, in the personal finance space, it seems that there aren't a lot of people that look like us teaching and educating people about personal finance and how important it is, right? Just to kind of get your financial health together. And so just taking that initiative, I'm sure was, was it overwhelming for you at, cause you were young when you, when you started MyFab Finance, right? Yeah. It seems like a new, a, a lifetime ago <laughs> when I started, it wasn't necessarily overwhelming because I was very focused on one specific financial goal. And that, and that's one of the things I recommend people who are starting a financial journey in general is to focus on that one goal. So for me, it was to improve my credit score. I was living in New York City and I couldn't get approved for an apartment because my credit was so terrible. And so I was like, okay, I don't like life being inconvenient. I having bad credit is inconvenient. Let's just go ahead and start with fixing this. So for me, it wasn't because I got started. But then what what did eventually become overwhelming is all the different voices in the space telling you how to do it. Because once I realized I wanted to create a finance blog, it turned into, okay, who else is doing this? And at that time it was like budgets are sexy, uh, J money. Um, it was who else was out there? I think stacking Benjamins was around at that time. There was Farnoosh Tarabi. Um, there were a few other people and I was just like, okay, so what does it look like for me to establish myself in personal finance? What does my angle look like? And that became overwhelming because like trying to figure out what my space looked like in finance and how did I do it in a way that resonated with me and who I was meant to be because finance, you know, it's 
typically white male dominated. If you're a woman, you're wearing Hillary Clinton suits talking about money or back then it was. And I was like, uh, where do I fit in this? I have natural hair. I have an Afro and tattoos. Where do I fit in this? So I think that that was the overwhelming part is figuring out where I fit. Yeah, that's excellent. One thing I want to bring up is like that moment that every creator has where they felt that they made it, right? And going through your journey, obviously there was Black Enterprise and then you had a amazing commercial with Toyota. During that time frame, when did you feel like you actually have built something that would impact others? And it was it's something that you felt that you arrived. I think there's level of a, levels of arrival. You know, it, the Black Enterprise cover happened so early on in my career that it wasn't an arrival for me. It was more so a kickoff kind of like oh okay this is a thing what are we going to do with this where are we going to go from this are we going to fade into oblivion are we going to capitalize off of this and create like let's ride the momentum and create something so black enterprise for me was a signal that i was on the right path Uh, i would say maybe it would have been you know my first in-person event people coming out people attending people actually paying me for my expertise that was that was like the first moment for me when people came out and supported I think the second level, I mean, the definitely the Toyota commercial was like, oh, and then I think the same year I got, I had the Toyota commercial, I was recognized by, um, what is that platform? It used to be like a, um, it was a competitor of BET. It was a black network, but it was a competitor of BET. Uh, but I was recognized as a change maker for them. And I, they flew me out to LA and had me do that commercial. And I was like, okay, people are starting to see the work. People are really starting to see the work. But I think it really became real for me when I was able to quit my nine to five because I was doing all those things with having a nine to five. And for me, wow. it was like, oh, this has replaced our income. This is what you do. You don't just moonlight doing this. You are a full-time financial educator. And that's when it was really, that was a moment like, okay, we're doing this. We, we have arrived to the point where you're bringing in so much money that you're leaving your job to do this. And that was 2015. Wow. So, so what was that like taking that leap from your nine to five into full-time entrepreneurship? Because a lot of people have want to pursue their entrepreneurial um, ventures, but sometimes they have that reservations, you know, to finally just jump off. What was it for you that kind of made you say like, you know what, I'm going to go all in on this. Angie, I was over the people playing me. Like, honestly, (laughs) I was over those people playing with me because I knew what I brought to the table. I knew how talented I was. I knew how passionate I was. I knew how intelligent I was and operating in that, in my space, my mental space within their constraints was just creating a lot of limitations on my, my potential that I was over. And so Couple that with having the financial resources. So by that point, I've been saving money to leave. I have been bringing in money with my fat finance. It came to the point where I would take weekends off because I'd be like, hey, I'm traveling to XYZ to do a speaking engagement. And I would go do a speaking engagement and get paid $10,000 for a speaking engagement on a weekend. And this job is paying me like $50,000 a year. And I really got tired of playing with them playing with me and playing around with my potential. So by the time I quit my job, There was literally no remorse, no questions or anything like that, because I also knew that given my work experience, given my degree, if I wanted to go back into the workforce, I could. A job was always going to be there, in my opinion. And I had the financial resources there. And then I was bringing in money with my fat finance. So that was one of the things that before I quit my job, 
I would, my revenue streams, I signed a contract the, like about a month before I quit my job, I signed a contract that was valued at um, $45,000 for me. And then $15,000 for my, my now husband who was going to do the video production for. So a total of $60,000. I just basically begged my job for a raise to make $60,000. And there was one moment with my boss. I was like, they don't value what I bring to the table. And I'm out here signing contracts equal to what they're trying to pay me for the year. What am I doing? Like what it literally it for me, it literally, I feel like God gives you these moments where you're, you have to look at yourself and be like, you're not trusting God because everything is here and you're still not being obedient. So girl, mm, go, that's go. And then I'm very, I'm a prideful person. And the, the final nail in the coffin was, my boss really did like, you know, when we think about it, like he kind of flexed because I just came in from interviewing Russell Simmons and everybody knew that I was like, I'm going to be late today. I have an interview with Russell Simmons. I get into the office and he's like, Hey, and we have interns and everything else. He's like, Hey, Tanya, um, do you mind printing out the agenda? And I was like, what? First of all, <laughs> like <laughs> mate, that's, that's above my, that's below my job title. I'm out here coordinating events throughout the entire city of New York. And we have an intern you know, I just came in from talking to Russell Simmons. You see my black enterprise cover that I keep next to my desk just to remind y'all. And you know, I was like, you, I went out and called my mom. I was like, mom, I think I'm gonna quit my job. She was like, quit. And I was like, say less. Amen. Did no. You, did you give him two weeks? Or did you <laughs> I did. I gave him two weeks. I gave him two weeks. There were people that I liked and enjoyed at the job. Um, when they go low, you go high. <laughs> I did give him two weeks and I was out. <laughs> I was out. No, but uh, I think you just spoke a word, right? You said limiting your potential. And I think that resonates with a lot of people where you're stuck in a job, um, wherever, you know, and that's stifling your creativity, stifling your potential. And I think it's amazing that at such a young age, you were able to see that so soon, you know, some people stay in their jobs for 40 years, Mm -hmm. um, you know, saying, thinking, what if, right? What if I only take that leap? And one thing that I always say to myself, I never want to look back and say, what if throughout my whole life? And so I think just so early on in your career that you were able to just take that initiative and have that courage because it takes a lot of courage to take a leap like that so early. And it sounds like, you know, based on what you said that You didn't just take action, you know, without planning, like you planned for this. And so my husband and I always say that, what's the saying? The opportunity. You're defined by your opportunities, even Even the the ones ones you miss. And so, you know, just taking that opportunity to just pursue your dreams and live life on your terms is such a great message, I think, for our listeners. And I think that for me, I I think it was easier for me because of where I was in my life, but I was looking ahead at what I wanted my life to look like. And uh, one of my colleagues, he said he uh, I don't know if he is the originator of this quote, but it was the quicker you get to your dreams, the longer you get to live them. And so for me, it was looking ahead at what I wanted my life to look like, where I was at that point. I didn't have new children. It was just me and my husband. I think that the time was optimal because I had time to figure things out. I had times to fail if I was going to fail before I had the responsibility of worrying about how I was going to feed our children or feed feed my now son and everything else. So I think the timing was good. And by deciding to do it at that time, I just really allowed myself the space to enjoy being an entrepreneur, owning my time entirely, not having to answer to anybody. And then um, I it moved into being able to enjoy motherhood the way that I want to enjoy motherhood and being the parent that I want to and commanding my parenting experience. It was definitely a, a lot of looking ahead and planning. 
Yeah, definitely. So, so what were some of the challenges you faced as a new entrepreneur out on your own, owning your own time? Like what were, what were some of the challenges you faced? I think that, you know, when you come from the traditional workforce, you are relegated to this is what they're willing to pay me. You can negotiate and you can, you know, you can negotiate up to a certain amount, but I think that I brought that mindset into entrepreneurship too. Um, like, okay, well, this is kind of like a limited mindset. There were, I had a lot of limitations on my income earning potential, even as an entrepreneur. And um, I had to detach myself from the ask. Uh, so that was a big issue. Detach myself from the ask from corporate partners and detach myself from my ask from my audience. So that was something that I, ne- I had to overcome thinking like, okay, well, they don't have the money to pay me or like, why would a company pay me for this? This is so easy. Why would I ask them for that? Because I remember when it took me an entire year to make this money and they were asking me to do something that's going to take me a week and I'm going to charge them the same amount that it took me to make a year. Like what? Why? So I had to overcome that. Um, Definitely overcoming imposter syndrome, feeling like I didn't come from a finance background. I remember meeting people when I started my finance journey and I met people who were educated at Wake Forest and in Duke and had graduate degrees from these, uh, these prestigious universities. I met a woman who graduated from Harvard and I went to Florida International University, which it is a good school, but it's not Harvard, you know? And so having that, that imposter syndrome, not having a background in Wall Street or on Wall Street, meeting other people who like, they used to be traders. I'm like, wow, I don't have that experience. I'm just a girl whose money was messed up and I figured out how to do, do it better. And so overcoming imposter syndrome at each step of the way uh, was, was really big for me as an entrepreneur and um, time management, because when you don't have someone looking over your shoulder saying, hey, get this task done, time management was a big thing. And one of the things that helped me with time management was to really put myself in a cooker. So uh, I actually shared with my audience last week, one of the things I like to do is I sell my programs before I launch it or I sell my programs before I create it. Because if I sell it and I have this deadline for when you have to have it in your inbox, that creates pressure for me to get it done to make sure that it's available by that time. And so time management was also something and I had to figure out how to work within myself and finding my style. One of the things I love about the internet is you get the opinions of so many people. One of the things I don't like about the internet is you get the opinions of so many people. So, so many people saying, well, if you're not this type of entrepreneur, if you're not waking up at 5 a.m. every every day, then, you know, you're letting your day pass you and you're doomed for failure. And I'm a person who I will work until 5 a.m. So I hit my spurts. I usually do my best work between 11 and 3 a.m. So if I'm working until 3 a.m., I'm not waking up at 5 a.m. I'm sleeping until, you know, 10, 11 o'clock. And so I had to figure out what now, now that I'm a mother, that is out the window, (laughs) but um, I had to figure out what worked for me and stop um, trying to fit myself into other people's molds of what worked for them. Yeah, those definitely some gems. Um, One thing you mentioned was imposter syndrome. And I think it's something that everyone goes through in some part of their life. Can you talk about like the steps that you took to get out of that mindset and really like trust and, and believe and have the faith in yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, for me, the cure for imposter syndrome was education. It was educating myself as much as I could in my industry. It was studying. It was becoming better at um, my skill set and my knowledge. And so that meant I went and got a certification as a certified financial educator. I started working with coaches. I started coaching other people. I started really becoming a student of the finance space to the point where I got comfortable, where I where. 
I would be like, you're not going to put me on a stage and I'm not going to know the answer because I'm so well versed on my subject. So I really became a true subject matter expert. And that really helped me with my imposter syndrome. But I think that as like, you know, as the challenges rose and like, okay, now it's not just your expertise. Now it's going out and being a public speaker. Now it's going out and being a host or a spokesperson for a brand. And now it's thinking on your feet. Um, It was continuing to push myself and learning at each step and pushing myself and rising to the occasion. I think that as an imposter, we're not as an imposter, but people who deal with imposter syndrome, it is like the what if, what if I'm asked this and I can't answer or what if I'm not as I appear. So put yourself out there and continue to put yourself out as you appear and you eventually become that. And then you don't even question yourself anymore. You're like, no, I, I do this. I've become this. This is who I am. And so it was a gradual process. Um, you know, right now, I mean, and I'm always transparent. And so right now I think my imposter syndrome comes up on having a million dollar business and, um, all the things around that, like, okay, well, now that I have a million dollar business and I'm in rooms with other million dollar, million dollar business owners, did mine just happen by accident? Am I here by accident or am I really a a million dollar business owner? Like what? So just each step of the way, things come up and, um, you know, now I'm digging back down into education, like going back to my bag of tricks that helped me when I was in that place doubting myself before. Now I'm back and, you know, I'm going to Funnel Hackers Live this week. I'm participating in a $55,000 mastermind. I have a different coach. So going back to education, uh, it helped. That's what helps me. No, I love that. And I think um, it sounds like you're a lifelong learner, right? That even as you you're you're here, right? Like you are at the top of your game, but you're still willing to learn, right? That's just a great message, right? Overall, that never stop learning, become the expert. You defeat imposter syndrome by knowing the information. And I think mm-hmm. any anyone can do that. Anyone can seek out the resources just to become more knowledgeable about any area that they want to be more knowledgeable in. And yeah. so I love that you said that, you know, now you're like, I can't believe that I have a million dollar business, but like, what got you there to that million dollar business? Like, what do you think was the culmination of all the things that got your business to where it is today? Yeah. I, you know, for a long time, I didn't think it was possible to have a million dollar finance business and then seeing it was possible. I think that was the first thing was seeing it was possible. One of the first people I knew in our space to have big a million dollars in their business was Tiffany Budgetista. And I was like, wait, you can do that in finance and personal finance for real. And like, not without, not like selling your company. So it was an acquisition. Um, so I think seeing it was possible was the first step. And then figuring out what my recipe was for those numbers, setting that intention and not shying away from that and be like, okay, this is what we're going to do. How are we going to get there? And so I, um, I did, um, Maya Elias is one of my friends and she had shared last year how she did a, a post-it session where she mapped out what she wanted to happen for the next year to come. And so I did my own little post-it session. I was like, okay, I want X, Y, Z amount of brand partnerships. I want a six figure brand partnership every quarter. I want this. I want that. I want this. I want that. And, um, started to piece together what it looked like. I wanted to boost engagement with my company. Um, I wanted to offer a boot camp, And so we just started working the pieces. We pieced out what it would look like, what what each of those would contribute to that million dollar year. And then we started working those individual pieces. Uh, But up until that, it was seeing that it was possible. Because I think for a long time, I told myself that we're in financial education. We're helping people. You can't make a million dollars helping people who don't have money. 
I have to say most of my money, um, most of my income does come from brand partnerships. I know other people, they launch courses and things like that. Most of my money does come from brand partnerships. So about 700,000 of that has been brand partnership. And that's been being consistent with the brands, being very consistent, being respectful of our relationships. I do put my foot down. So I don't work for brands. I like you reached out to me because I've created a platform. And so there are certain things I will push back on, but it's like, it's, it's a respectful relationship to where it's like, you respect what I bring to the table and the community that I've built. And I respect that you're the one paying me. And let's like, so <laughs> that, that leads to them also um, coming back. And we have a lot of repeat partnerships that have been really helpful. That's great. I love that. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. And kudos to you for building this huge business. And, you know, one of the other questions I have is around like just balance. You're, you have a million dollar business, you're married, you have a young child. How are you able to balance all of this? You know, you're working till (laughs) 3am. Not anymore. anymore. My husband put an end to that. (laughs) My husband put an end to that when we had our son. He's like, uh, so you're going to give it all to the business. And like, we know, leave nothing on the table for us. Yeah. So having support is really helpful. So with our son, we do have a, uh, we have our nanny. And so I knew that I wanted to have like a nanny for a carers and she's really helpful. It allows me to kind of pop in and parent and mother without concern of what's going on with him. Like right now he's at the aquarium. So I have that support that's in my team. I built my team over time, started out with me and just a virtual assistant. That, that was my very first hire. From there, um, we brought on a social media manager. So then it was me, my virtual assistant, and my social media manager. Um, and then from there, we brought on a con- um, we brought on writers to write for the blog. So I didn't have to write the, the blog content anymore. Then from there, we grew to bringing in a content manager who handled our newsletter and the supervision of the writers. And so now at that point, we have a social media manager, a content manager, and my virtual assistant. Um, and then we grew into bringing on a director of operations. And so that director of operations now oversees a lot of the other elements. So support is definitely um, critical for me maintaining some type some type of balance or I won't necessarily say balance, but ensuring that all the important pieces of my life feel like they get the attention they desire and deserve. And it's still a work in progress. It really is. I think me and my husband, like even today, I went to go work out at the gym and I thought I was going to have like time just to spend with him. Then I got on a business call and then I'm doing a podcast interview. Then I got a client call after this. And I'm just like, all right, we got to figure out how to create that space for him today. So it's being intentional. It's being intentional. Sometimes I clear out my calendar for the day. Uh, I'm going to Funnel Hackers Live this week in Orlando. So I'll be gone Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, coming back Saturday morning. So I was like, okay, clearing out Monday to spend time with family. Monday is family day. Take everything off my calendar. So sometimes it looks like that. If I go hard in one area, I go hard in the other area. Yeah, no, I think that's great. You know, I think as women, we're told that we have to do it all, right? And that, you know, we should do it all. (laughs) And and that can be a lot of pressure on one person. And I love Mm -hmm. that you said that, you've built a team, right? Like there's no shame in just asking for help, getting help if you need it, getting the support that you need, right? As you're building your business and whatnot. And again, as women, we just take so much on and we think we have to be superhuman. I've been very, there's a lot of things I am intentional. And I love your, you know, your podcast is rich by intention Uh, because I live, I live by intention. And my thing is like, when I had my son and everything, I knew I wanted to have a nanny. I knew I wanted to have support. My son has had a nanny since he was six months. No, he's had a nanny since he was six weeks old. 
And then he has had um, his current nanny since he was six months old. And just being very intentional about all the things and even being intentional about having him. I waited and I was considered an older parent because I have my son at 35, but I waited to have him because I was intentional and I planned. And I think that when we plan, it allows us to get into the ease of life rather than responding to what life has Mm. for us, which is exhausting because you run it from fire to fire to fire to fire to fire. When sometimes if we just sit back and plan for some of the fires, it can really alleviate some of that stress and that overwhelm that I see so many women dealing with. That's such a gem. Just taking that extra time just to plan out (laughs) whatever it is you want to do, just plan it out ahead of time. So again, like you're not going to fire to fire. It's a lot of us do. I think that sometimes where overwhelm is a badge, you know, it's like like the martyr syndrome, you know? Yeah. It's like, I wear ease as a badge. Like (laughs) I have designed a life that I enjoy and I am proud of it. That is my badge. Like girl, I am not tired (laughs) and I'm proud of it. That's good. I know. Like, I think once you become a mom, I'm a mom too. And it's like, you know, it's like, who has the busier life, right? Who has the crazier, more hectic mom life, you know? And it's like, no, I love that, that create your life, you design your life. And I think if more people just took the time to think about what's the life that you want and work backwards, like you did, you know, like do the journey map, do the post-it mapping, you know, and say where you want to be and work backwards from there. It's amazing that where you'll see where you'll see where you end up. So that's great. Yeah. And you mentioned that you have support, you um, have a team. It's, it's so important just to get out of that mindset and just ask for help, right? I think yeah. a lot of us are just like, I'm gonna take it on, do mm-hmm. it all. And I'm not gonna ask for help until like I'm on my deathbed, right? And and we have to get out of that mindset. So even when that. it comes to money, right? Mm-hmm. Like people yeah. are so afraid to learn how to just fix their money or ask, ask someone for help. There's so many resources now that that's available to you. Like just ask for the help, you know? Yeah, so. like not having help is not an excuse anymore, mm-hmm. especially because, you know, I remember the first time I went to FinCon and I, there were FinCon had been going, I think like three years before I went and there were maybe like seven black content creators. And then each year we saw that number grow. We was like, Oh, And then there's a room packed. And I was like, oh, they are here. And there's no excuse anymore. Mm -hmm. There is absolutely no excuse not to seek out the resources and the education that you need when it comes to your money. Me even like we have to check our pride too. like me being a financial educator. I have been doing this for eight years and I and taking December off to learn from Dominique and Terry to learn how to trade because I realized that that is a blind spot for me. If I can go sit my butt in a class, given I have a, a million dollar business based on personal finance, then you who does not have any background in finance, please, please put your pride aside and learn. Because once, and then the thing about learning instead of teaching, having someone teach, like do it for you, that's the thing. I don't necessarily, I've never offered credit repair as part of my business. I'll teach you credit education and I'll look at your credit report and tell you what things you can do. But I just believe in the importance of understanding how to do things yourself and knowing how to do things yourself. Some things are complicated, but credit is not that complicated. So there's there's no excuse now. And I say that with loving compassion, but also like holding people accountable. Like, no, there's no excuse. Yep. Yep, uh, definitely agree. So, so- Eight years doing this, 
What are some of the lessons you learned along the way in, in your journey? Um, give things a try. I would say eight years of teaching financial education, give things a try. Every way of making money is not going to be the way you want to make money, but give it a try before shunning it. As long as it's ethical, you know, of course, as long as it's ethical, give it a try because you might like it, you might not like it. Um, so I would say give, give everything a try at least once. Um, to see if it works for you. Don't get so stuck. And this is how it has to happen. This is how I have to make my money. Da 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 da. So I would say that was is one thing. Um, learn from people along the way. Definitely, there's other people who've been doing this longer and are willing to teach it. Learn from them. Become a student of them because they can help you avoid a lot of the pitfalls or help you get to the resources or a better way of doing it or building your system out before like everything collapses and now you're building a system in the aftermath. So definitely that. Um, build your community. I can't stress community enough. Community, when I got started with personal finance, it was me, Tiffany Budgetista, Marsha of the Finance Bar, Carol of Kara of Frugal Feminista. And I had a partner with my Fab Finance Victoria at that Tiffany Victoria at that time. And we were the Frugal Fab Five. And so we were sharing educational information with each other. We rolled deep to conferences and everything else. We were going to conferences with one another. We would look at people's each other's landing page. We would suggest each other for interviews. And I had that community early on. And Black Enterprise came out of that community. Um, and then going forward, I feel like I kind of I've always maintained some of those friendships and then kind of lost along the way. And then as a recent, um, I reconnected with a community this year. And I know that that's part of the reason why I've been able to push this to my million dollar year is because mm. I'm not just not working alone with my team, but I'm not working alone in my community and the resources and learning from others. So I'm in two masterminds and you can join master. You can create your own mastermind or you can join one, the one with Frugal Frat Five. We didn't know it then, but we were a mastermind and it was free and it was, we just checked in with each other. But now the paid one I'm in, like, I mean, I love that one just as much as I love the free one that I'm also in, but definitely find your community because lateral networking can change your life too. Everybody wants to go to the person at the top, but yeah. the people in the room with you and the people at the same level for you, they're growing too. And you guys can grow together. Oh, I love that. I think, you know, networking is so important. We're taught to network, you know, in our careers, right? But I think even as it comes to entrepreneurship, as you said, you can't forget to build that community and have those people in your corner, find your tribe, find like-minded individuals <laughs> that yeah. are, yeah. That it's are even more important because entrepreneurship is so, can be so lonely. Mm -hmm. You don't go into office. You don't have office mm -hmm. parties. You don't have somebody like bringing you cupcakes on your birthday. <laughs> like it can be so lonely. You don't have someone to complain to when something goes wrong or a launch doesn't go as planned. Um, and like even one of the masterminds I'm in, that's one of the good things that comes out of it is that Somebody will come in and be like, man, I, my launch didn't go as I thought it would. My launch didn't go as planned. And people are like, oh, let's have a look at your landing page. What are things you could have done differently? Can you send me audio from when you made your offer? Da, 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 da. Can you send me the video? I'll watch the Zoom link for you. But it's like, you, it can be so lonely and it doesn't have to be. It mm -hmm. doesn't. Yeah, yeah. They always say it takes a village to like raise a child, but I think it takes a village to uh, raise a business. So. <laughs> right? It does. <laughs> So, so as we're wrapping up, like, what do you envision for your brand in the next five years? Yeah. Oh, I'm so, I mean, honestly, my goal is going to be to sell my fat finance is to get it in as healthy place as possible and to sell it. Uh, I have other things that I'm passionate about. I've recently launched my personal brand 
over on my Tanya Rapley platform, which is all about helping women powerfully navigate their next life shift. I'm very committed to helping powerful women become even more powerful and designing lives they love. So um, I'll be doing like a design your life weekend retreat and I want to continue to grow that. And so I do see myself probably selling my fat finance to a good fit. And then moving in that personal space and empowering other entrepreneurs and other women to um, live life, live a life on their own terms, because that's the core of it. You know, I, when I think about why I became a financial educator, it's because I didn't, of course, I wanted to have money, but like money gives you options. And for me, I wanted to have options in life and I wanted to live life on my own terms. And I didn't want life to be inconvenient. But part of that is factored into designing your life overall. And I'm really, really, I think that, um, a lot of us are raised to be just grateful for what we have instead of going after what we want in life. So I'm passionate about that. That's what the, my next act will be. I love it. I love it. love it. So what's one thing, what's like, what's one piece of advice you can give our listeners uh, to take away from this episode? Um, I mean, the podcast is called Rich by Intention, <laughs> but everything begins with intention. It truly does. It truly does. And when you get clear on your intention and revisit that intention, you can make sure that you're living in a way that's aligned with what your intentions are. So I would say always clarify what it is you want out of life and then check in with yourself regularly, not every year when it's time to set New Year's resolutions. Maybe it's quarterly, maybe it's monthly, but check in with yourself and say like, Am I moving in the direction of my dreams? Am I moving in the direction of my ultimate life vision? And are my decisions that I made this past week, month, day, whatever it may be, are they moving me closer to where I want to be? Because you can set intentions, but you don't arrive at your intended goal by accident. You arrive by taking steps and action in the right direction. Love that. Yeah. No, it's so true, right? It, It does all start with intention. But one of the things that you said throughout this episode was like being accountable, right? Being accountable is so important. Um, whether it's a budget, you have to be accountable with your budget and you have to be accountable for your goals. And that's the only way you can do it, right? The bridge between your goals and your vision is the action in between those. So yeah. just keep on moving, keep on being intentional. So lastly, Tanya, where can people find you? Where can they learn more about all of your business ventures? Yeah, well, you guys have finance covered, um, but I do have a platform, MyFab Finance, where our goal is to create a safe space for women to learn about money. And um, we're on a mission to help 100,000 women make at least one financial decision they're proud of. So we have MyFab Finance. And then on my personal platform is Tanya.Rapley. That's Tanya with an O-T-O-N-Y-A um, dot Rapley, R-A-P-L-E-Y. And that's where I share definitely more of like what I have going on with MyFab Finance, my personal brand being a mom, like you'll see pictures of my son and me spending time with my son as well as being an entrepreneur. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been amazing. It's been a pleasure, absolute pleasure. As we said in the beginning, you've been a trailblazer in the personal finance Mm -hmm. space. And it's it's just beautiful to see, you know, your journey and how much you've grown and accomplished and you inspired so many others to follow in your Mm -hmm. footsteps. So thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited for you guys. I'm so excited. It makes me so excited to see other people doing this. It makes me so excited to see other Black couples doing this. It's just, we're living and existing in a very different time. And um, I get joy from that. I get joy from being with my friends who are like multimillionaires and like around their kids. And we have our kids together and everything. It's like, we are doing life differently than our ancestors might have ever imagined for us. So thank you to Amen. Amen. Oh, thank you, Tanya. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. If you like what you heard, hit the subscribe button and leave a review. Remember, 
It all starts with intention. See you next week.